1993, Bat Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell was released. And in 1994, I caught up with Meatloaf in Japan, of all places, in a Harley Davidson shop, talking about Bat Out of Hell 2. The life and times of Meatloaf, it's incredible. Enjoy the next 20, 25 minutes of my time with Meatloaf here in the Freak Nation and the Lucas Oil Studios from Harley Davidson in Tokyo. This kind of fits your image at times, huh? Well, it it uh, the it fits the image. It doesn't fit me. <laughs> the, the image yeah. is motorcycles uh, right. because we use them on the cover. Oh yeah. But uh, um, personally, I'm scared to death of them. <laughs> <laughs> they can't. They can't I, take you for a ride. Yeah. No. I mean, I you know I've ridden in in uh, um, I've ridden I. I've uh, ridden in some movies, right? And I crashed one in a video going about sixty miles an hour once. I wish uh, you had a little limp over there. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think that—that's for playing football. Right. Uh, but um, no, so so I, I I like to do my shows. I like to go on tour. So I, I don't really ride motorcycle because I I never could when I was in Dallas. I right. never could ride bicycles too well. So well, let's talk about Dallas. Well, uh, no, you know, because you're talking well, about motorcycle. Right. I was I was so big as a kid, and this is—it sounds like a joke. But I, and and you grew up in the very close to where I did, right. and I actually I was so big that my bicycle, I, I was riding my bicycle, and the frame actually broke in half. And so after that, I decided that two wheels had probably better not be, you know, my thing. So, so no, I won't even ride. I won't even ride those jet skis things. So well, I forgot to say he's also a heck of a storyteller. We're going to hear some great stories. But Dallas, I have my own. Feelings and own own perspective of growing up in Dallas. What what memories do you have of growing up Farmers Branch, a, a, a suburb yeah, of Dallas? Yeah. What memories do I have? Bad food, <laughs> really bad, horrible food. That's my uh, that's my main memory. You know, um, they, there was something about Texas that the the food wasn't very healthy. I don't think they knew about oh, come that. Come on. Not when I grew up. I don't know how, how, what our age difference is, but. But when I, the I, I seem to remember eating everything out of a can somehow, everything came from a tin can, and uh, so it wasn't uh, wasn't what I eat now. I can tell right. you that my wife now, like you know, was very healthy. Was your dad a, a Dallas cop? He was early on, yeah, right, right very uh, before I was born. He was a cop, yeah. I bet I bet he had some stories. Oh, right. he knew. Um, oh, he did have some stories. He knew. Um, he knew Jack Ruby and Ooh. and all and and all those uh, all the police down in that area at that point in time. Yeah, all he, the, uh, the Kennedy. Yeah, type all the Kennedy. Of... Yeah, he knew all those those people. When did you um, When did you leave Dallas? You, oh, you left uh, at a fairly young age, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, long. Yeah, in in the sixties, in the in the late sixties, and you went left into on California. Your own. Yeah, right. Went into California, and, and uh, I have no idea how I got started into rock and roll, but I did there. But I also in California got started into theater, which was which was a double kind of whammy. So I did both. Um, and I in New York in the in the middle seventies, I was doing uh, working for Joe Papp and doing Shakespeare in the Park and going down at night and uh, playing in rock and roll bands at Max's mm -hmm. Kansas City. So at eight thirty, I'd be up uptown Central Park doing Shakespeare, and at midnight, I'd be down in Max's Kansas City wearing motorcycle jackets and singing rock and roll. And everybody thought I was weird. The the people at the rock and roll place thought I was completely out of my mind. You, what were you do Shakespeare? What and and what are you talking? And the people doing Shakespeare were going. You you sing rock and roll? And you what are, what are you nuts? And and so everybody and so it still 
it still does that today. People have no idea who I am, what I do, and and they just and they and sometimes they the name. Uh, my wife says I have a my name is a double edged sword mm -hmm. uh, that people remember it, but also sometimes people don't take me very seriously about what I do and and uh, and um, and uh, you know I'm not I'm not. Uh, but you don't I'm take not, life serious. Well, uh, no, I don't. I take my work seriously. Okay. I don't take myself serious. You know, right. I don't. I don't think that I'm. Um, I'm better than this person out there, and I don't. I don't. I don't play the fame game. Uh -huh. You know, uh, so that I don't. I don't do. You know, right. but when it comes time to when those people have have bought those tickets, that's important. There you go. That's that's important, and when the people buy the records, because that's um, they 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 spent their money on that. You know, so the, I mean. That's yeah. that's important. So then it becomes serious. Yes, it does. But but as far as uh, you know, being famous and and uh, telling people you can't look at me or uh, you know playing that and all the you know bodyguards. And, yeah, that's not your game. No, no. And so no, I don't I don't like I don't like that yeah. I don't like that game. Well, New York. Well, was L.A. or New York where you got the gig with Rocky Horror Picture? Oh, Show? in was... in New York. Yeah, I got it. Well, it, I mean, I did it in L.A., but I got that they had I actually finished the play. Um, I was at the Kennedy Center in Washington D.C., and I had uh, been uh, had been doing a play there for six weeks. And uh, I, this is true. I literally walked in to my apartment mm -hmm. back in New York. Been gone for six weeks. Put my bag down right at the front. You know, you walk in, you put your bag down, you look around, you check your mail, and do things like that. And as I was like heading for the mail or whatever, the phone rang. And and it was a, a fellow by the name of Brian Abnett, and he said, "Is this meatloaf?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, um, "I work for Lou Adler," and I went, mm -hmm. "I know that name, Lou Adler. Lou, what has he done, Lou Adler?" And he proceeded to tell me he owns half of Los Angeles, and he yes. produced the Mamas and Papas and Cheech and Chong and Jan and Dean, and you know, uh -huh. is like the major uh, record producer of, at the time. Right. And I said, "Oh yeah, I knew I knew that name." And they said to me, uh, we're doing this play called The Rocky Horror Show, and we'd like for you to do it. And at that point in time, I really uh, hadn't got to the point where I'd go, well, let me read the script or see what this is or anything. It was like another job. Mm -hmm. So, okay, you take it. And, and so I said, well, okay, that sounds fun. What do I do? And they go, well, you play two parts. And I, I, I did ask them, what do I do? They say, uh, you play this rock and roll guy who comes out of a Coca-Cola box. And I said, oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> And then they said, you also, it's a double role. You uh -huh. play his uncle. And I said, and I, I said, yeah, okay, cool. I didn't ask him what the thing was, play was about or anything. And so then they said, well, we'd like for you to come out to LA. And I said, okay. And they said, when can you come? And I said, I'm packed. Let's go now. <laughs> and I literally, uh, uh, about two hours later, uh, right. was on the plane to LA and, uh, and, and, uh, there's a side story to this. Um, Chevy Chase had broken up with his girl with his girlfriend mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and was actually living in in a Volkswagen, in a little Volkswagen Beetle. And a friend of mine, a friend of mine, called right after that, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, I was talking to her, and I said, "Oh, I'm getting ready." She goes, "Oh, boy, you're back. You want to come down?" I said, "Oh, I'm going to L.A." And she goes, "Well, you just got here." I said, "I know, but I just got a phone <laughs> call to go to work." And that's how I worked in New right. York. I mean, I literally was never out of that was never out of work in New York as an actor for longer than about at the time it took me to fly from uh, Washington. Not too many people to, can say that. No, and so so at that point in time, she goes, "Well, how long you be in L.A.?" And I said, "I don't know. I didn't ask that." 
And they go, well, Chevy broke up with his girlfriend. He's got no place to live. Can he? And I said, yeah, tell him he can live in my apartment. So uh, for nine months, Chevy Chase lived in my apartment and ran up an enormous phone bill. Well, so he owes, me, he, owes me ele- he owes me $1,100. Yeah, he owes me $1,100. Well, so, I don't know about the meeting, your, your initial meeting with Tim Curry. Oh, well, that was funny. That, that, uh, well, it wasn't a meeting. I'm sitting here. We've been rehearsing the, the music, and uh, everything was fine. I mean, the song just, you know, it was a typical one of those kind of rock music. The words were a little quirkier, you know, mm-hmm. than, than normal. But we hadn't heard any of Tim's songs. We'd ho- only heard, like, Hot Patootie and, uh, and the songs, you know, uh, when Eddie said his, had his teddy and, and the, you know, whatever the <laughs> songs were. And, and, you know, there's a light and that kind of stuff, which was kind of... You know, a little quirkier, but it was, it was, it was those, I mean, I was doing a lot of those silly rock musicals that were going on off Broadway or, and the Kennedy Center had been one about, uh, about Buddha. And so, and that's what I'd been, I'd played Buddha. Okay, I can see that. And so, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was weird. (laughs) It was kind of, I was doing all this avant-garde stuff and all this. So anyway, um, we'd been rehearsing about six days and they said, tomorrow Tim Curry's coming in. And okay, great. We knew he was the star. Mm-hmm. And when he came in, <laughs> he came in. We were running the show in song order, and we hadn't heard any of his songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, uh, they got to his song, and he came in. We were rehearsing this little theater, and he came in from the top of the theater, singing "I'm a Sweet Transvestite," wearing uh, big platform shoes. <laughs> uh, 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 he had his that, outfit on. Oh, right? He had his out. We out with a mo. Yeah, he had his outfit on with a motorcycle. This is the initial meeting. Yeah, he, initial he, meeting. He had his out, and I freaked. I, I, I lost it. I mean, I really. I'm going. Uh, uh-uh, uh, no. Oh, I, I, I like. I and I turned to another actor who, who was. Um, I'd done uh, two plays with already, named Graham Jarvis, who has done a, is a character actor, mm-hmm. and you see him in a lot of movies. And we looked at each other. And we just got up and walked out. I mean, we lit- I literally just walked out. I said, I don't know what I'm in. I'm going, this is L.A. This is weird. This is- I've always heard this place was really weird, but this is really strange. Right. And we and then we left, and, and we decided that, oh, you know, well, we better go back and check this out and tell them we can't do it. And so we went back to tell them that, and, and we got the sense that... It really wasn't about 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 that. It wasn't like being in drag. It was. It, it took it us was a while. Character. Cause we, yeah, because all we had done so far was learn the music, mm-hmm. and then we hadn't seen the script, and there was a reason because they knew that this was probably they probably had a lot of problems, gonna have a problem casting this part if everybody knew that they you know had to dress up in right. fishnet stockings. But eventually, I did, and it was. Uh, uh, I weighed oh geez uh, 50 60 pounds more than I do now mm-hmm. and uh, I wore a, a garter belt and fishnet stockings and a high heels and came out from underneath this uh, this blanket that was in a wheelchair and I'll tell you what it it had to be the biggest laugh of any show you've ever seen in your life they the people would ever the cast, Tim Curry, and he's really a great actor. He'd laugh, uh, you know, two out of every four times. Uh-huh. Because the audience would just... It, it was the biggest laugh I've ever heard in my life.
And we continue on with our part two interview with Meatloaf. Died earlier this week at 74 years old. And with Bat Out of Hell, the first record back in the late 70s, it was Jim Steinman who teamed up with Meatloaf. For those, once again, who, are not, who aren't familiar with Jim Steinman, what has he meant to you singing lies for your... Oh, like, well, the first time that... The first song that I ever... Uh, I mean, people always told me when I started to sing, oh, you can, you can sing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never had a song... Uh, when I did the first Jim Steinman song, uh, I never sang a song that reacted that way. And I've had, I, I sang what I thought were some pretty good songs. I mean, I didn't know then. I obviously I hadn't, but I thought mm-hmm. I had. And I'd done, you know, in all the, the musicals I was doing, I always had a, a featured number and people would always go, Oh, that was great. But when I did the, the Jim Steinman piece and we were doing, I was doing it for Joe Pat, stopped the show. And, uh, and then when we moved it into, uh, we moved it to a bigger theater. Uh, it was the only time in history that I've ever been in the theater, and I've seen a lot of plays and musicals, where in the middle of the first act we did this song, and the audience actually screamed for more. Did you have more? We they had to write it into the play. They wrote it into the play that I I, wow. I sang the, the last chorus over again, uh, and it, it was very strange because they would when we first started doing it they wouldn't stop applauding and and. Uh, and we just stood there. We stood there for, I remember standing there the first time I did it for the longest time. And, and, uh, Fred Gwynn was in this play and Ron Silver and Mary Beth Hurt and, and a lot of, uh, Steve Collins and okay. a lot of, uh, people that are American, uh, and a lot of these, they'll know, you know, uh, Ron Silver and oh, yeah. people. Um, but we just all stood there. We were all just standing there like, what do we do now? And they, and, they didn't stop. And eventually, uh, Michael Weller, who was the playwright, wrote mm-hmm. it in that we were all soldiers and the soldiers came up to me and did this whole thing. And, and then the music started again and they started to hum and we, we did it again. It was all, it was written in. Said, and I've never, thing, huh? never, never seen. So I knew at that point that, oh, wait a minute. I'm singing the same way I always sang, but this, 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 I'm connecting with these, this material. Because nobody else in the show, and there was great singers in the show, it didn't didn't happen with anybody else. And th- there was mm-hmm. other songs that that I actually thought were better in the show, right. but it still didn't happen. So there was a connection there, and so then I I proceeded to really. Jimmy's v- not aggressive. Jimmy is 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 very is passive when it comes to uh, work, and he's very la- he labors and he's mm-hmm. very slow and. And he, he's a little more, he's a, he goes in, he's, he goes out a little more now than he used to, but I mean, you know, aggressive as far as uh, the work is concerned. But back then he wouldn't do anything. So it's like I really pushed him and pushed him and pushed him and pulled him and pulled him and made him write and, and, uh, got some people to, to help me. And eventually we got to where I got him in a routine of we, we would work every day. And I stopped doing theater, and uh, I rehearsed with Jimmy every day, almost every day. Maybe not on football days, but uh, on Bat Out of Hell, you rehearsed. Yeah, every day for a year. We were, but not just singing that. Every kind of song you can possibly mm-hmm. imagine, from operas to Eagles to to Kiss songs. I mean, right on. just anything. It was like um, being a cover band in a in a rehearsal room. Mm-hmm. We, it was just a little room. Not much sizer than that, that box there with a <laughs> piano in it. And it was called Nola Studios, and we went there every day. 
and uh, they had a little four-track machine upstairs, and every mm-hmm. once in a while we'd go upstairs and record things. And uh, we did, oh, we did Tom Waits, Jimmy Webb, every, every, well, I must have learned, writers. I must have learned oh, 150 songs. And in that process, we learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot, and so then he started writing the, the stuff that that fit in. And that when when we tried to do better to help people, kept going, "You're great," but I mean, I, the reaction was like, "You're phenomenal," but what is this? What is this material? Why are you doing these songs? Mm-hmm. I'm going, these songs are brilliant, and they go, "No, this isn't. They're not. Nobody's going to understand these songs." I said, "You're wrong." And in 1975, we sold out Carnegie Hall. This long, two years before Bad ever came out, almost three years, and and the record company would come and 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 they would they would think they're all our friends, and we didn't know anybody. I mean, I knew few act. I mean, I knew my actor friends, mm-hmm. but Jimmy and I had been together so long that I didn't really have a social life. We rehearsed all every day, and then I went home and like did nothing, and so. Uh, uh, the record company, they, they thought I don't, we planted these people or something because the reaction every time we did anything and we worked a lot and WNEW in New York would find out we were playing him and, and say things like, hey, if you guys get a chance, you should go see this guy. Mm-hmm. You should see what they're doing. And, uh, took forever to get that, to get a deal. I mean, we were rejected by everybody four times. I was going to ask you that. Didn't record, record labels just see you? Oh, yeah. See ya. Oh, yeah. Just pass on you. Oh, well, yeah. And Bad in Hell actually went through seven labels. I mean, we were actually signed to seven labels. Seven, uh, seven labels actually on the dotted line. Well, just, except for Warner Brothers. You just don't hear that. You just don't hear except it. For, seven. Except for Warner Brothers. We were going to Warner Brothers, right. and it, we actually never signed the contract. The contract was there. That would have made the sixth, and the seventh would have, would have been uh, uh, CBS. But CBS, the person who eventually signed it, had already turned it down four times. Right. And the only reason it, it, at that, I think it was destined to come out, obviously, but why it came out at that point in time and why they signed it is because uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen's guitar player, Miami Steve Van Zant, owed somebody a favor and he went and told this guy that uh, the beginning I took the words right out of my mouth was the best 10 seconds of rock and roll in history. Here you go, Steve. Here's it. Here's it. Yeah, that's basically what it is. And and uh, I'm the only person that still calls him Miami. I saw everybody else calls him. <laughs> it's little Steven. Little Steven, yeah. And everybody, and, and, and everybody else calls him little Steven and I saw him, you know, like... Two weeks going, Miami. Miami. He goes, you're the only person that calls me. That. <laughs> I go, well, I don't know you by anything else, you know. So thirty million plus later. Yeah, right? I think it's right? more. Than, I yeah, I think it's more than that. But I don't know how many more than that. They won't tell us. Let's forget we, we, for reading we, the stats. Uh, we no, no, you're right though. That's what they print between twenty five mm-hmm. and thirty million. My goodness. But I don't think they've accounted for everything. <laughs> well, in fact, true, I know they true. haven't. Yeah, that, that wallet may speak for it, but. I, I I don't like to talk about downtime, but there were 15 years there, man. Between well, it wasn't. Real. I work all well, the time. I, okay. I mean, there was a period. There were some albums that came four, out. Yeah, three or four years where I didn't work because I didn't I didn't like being famous, so I didn't want to work. That was tough for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't like it. It's not my. I mean, I've learned to deal with it, but and it, it's just not my thing. You know, it's like uh, they've today they you know they have us riding around in, in Tokyo in this limousine. I'll be just as happy in a van, taxi. Yeah, well, not a taxi, a van, because the taxis you got to go out and wait for them. In New York, we ride in taxis, but right. when you got to get to somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, you never, you know, a taxi's never there when you need one. Right. It's like the policeman, never there when you need one. <laughs> so if I'd have been coming here today in a taxi, we wouldn't have been here on time. Yeah. So, um, 
But um, but there, there was a, you know. Oh yeah, I mean it was a thing. Yeah, you know, but that's the. I mean that's this business. Oh, that's that's the nature of this business. You know that, right? You know you 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 yeah. if you have great times and bad times. Yeah, you Anybody, do. but that's life. Plumbers have good days and bad days. Right. You know, doctors good days and bad days. Uh, he does. The guy running the camera. He has good days and the bad, bad days. days. Money, yeah. money just can't buy you happiness. You know, man, no, you know. it doesn't. So you know, I have a, um, I have a great wife and two great kids, and, and that, that, that make that when you, that's hap- when you see your daughter. You know, you 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 go to the high school or you go to the you know the middle school, and mm-hmm. and and I went to see my oldest daughter um, have the lead in a, a play, and um, I went there, and I'm going, okay, it's a high school play, and and. And she she came out and she she sang and she did she's this thing, dead. and I'm going. She's incredible, and then I started to go. No, she's only incredible because she's my daughter, mm-hmm. you know. But then I kept watching. I'm going. No. She's. This is a high school play, and she's she's not in a high school play. She's in a. I said I've seen, uh, I've seen people on Broadway that aren't this good. You know, and a few days later, I would see guys and dolls, and oh, the girl, and one of the girl in Broadway that was getting paid two thousand dollars a week was not as good as yeah. my daughter, and I, and so it was like, you know, that's that's what makes you happy life, when you see it? and you you know, and when you see them uh, succeed, and and that's the great times, you know. I mean, it's really, it's it's great when you know. I mean, it's like this record, Better Than Hell, too. Uh, I've had enough. Uh, the single's been number one in like 19 mm-hmm. countries now, which is like right. absurd. Uh, you know, it's like I, I, I feel like Michael Jackson, although not quite. And I said it's pretty weird that you're, um, you're, you know, you have a single that that goes number one in 19 countries. I never expected that. And Better Hell never did anything like that. Mm-hmm. It has just, it at one time uh, was the biggest album in the world, but it was, it never had a a big single off of it. It had um, a lot of singles that were hovering around right. top ten and different places. The only time in in Australia we had a number one, and I think in Canada, but but nothing like this. And so it was. Um, we're talking about I do anything. I do anything for love, love, but I won't do that. Right. And uh, it's still it's still doing things. I mean, it's it's fixing to be number one in France. They're they're slow. You so look we, at Billboard and you see you're on all these charts, man. Yeah, everywhere. All these charts everywhere, and it's pretty it's pretty interesting. So what you do on that? Obviously, you're going to become famous. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you can't help it. Uh, yeah, you have to deal with it. I mean, I actually went to a psychologist for over a year just uh, for having a. Uh, to deal with uh, mm-hmm. being being famous, and 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 he used to go in, and he used to say to me, um, "If I say the word star to you, how do you feel?" And I go, "I hate it." And he and he go, "Okay." So then we talked to, and and the last time I saw him, he he did his opening thing. How if I say the word star to you? I said, "Well, you know, I mean, maybe I can deal with it." And he goes, "Okay, well then I'll I'll see you like in a year." I mean that was kind of it. Progressed. Yeah, I mean it was that that was as far as it went, you know. God. But I I, I kind of lost it. But but I've learned to like just ground myself and 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 deal with it. But what I've also kind of analyzed things and I, and and instead of taking it how you can take that and go to the extreme the other way, I, I've kind of gone the other way of of saying that when you have a number one single. Uh, or a big rec- it's it's a privilege mm-hmm. and it's an honor and not many people really understand that. I mean, if you get uh, some people expect it, 
Some people get mad if they're, you know, they go, well, what, why aren't I number one? You know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm, hey, wow, great, thank you very much. But because when that happens, yeah, people are letting you into their lives mm -hmm. and you, you become part of their life. And, uh, that's a privilege. It's like going to dinner at somebody's house. They invite you to their house for dinner. You, you want to be on your best behavior. And, you and say, unless, you. you know, it's, unless it's like some guy giving you a can of wolf brand <laughs> chili from Texas, then you don't care. But I'm saying, you know, if you get invited over to your boss's house or you get invited to a oh, friend's yeah. house for a, a formal dinner, you know, you want to be on your best behavior. So that's how I feel about this right. thing. And I, I feel that, so I, I take it the other way is it being a, a privilege to do what I do as opposed to, uh, having it, uh, expecting it. And I don't expect that when I go to do a live show mm -hmm. that I never say to myself, oh, they're here to see me. I always say, oh, I'm here to perform for them. Because uh, bands tend to think that the audience is there to see them. I, I don't, I don't ever get, I don't ever take it that way. I'm always there for them. Hey, look who's footing foot the bill. Yeah, yeah, you know? they, that's my boss. So why not? That's, that's who I work yep. for. They're paying me. Once again, the theatrics are there, the, the serious performance side is there, but your lyrics, again, are they're, they're kind of funny and, and thought-provoked. Well, they, you, you they know, are. They, yeah, they, no, they, they're... Life is a lemon, and I want, want money. Back. Yeah, you understand life is a lemon, I want yeah. my money back. Yeah. Uh, people... I've driven uh, a couple. Yeah, that's... Outside of America, people... I, I thought everybody in the world knew that mm -hmm. if you got a new car and it was no good, it was called a lemon, but they don't know that. Mm -hmm. um, so I've had to explain that a little bit. Uh, but it is. They're, they're, they're funny, but, but they also uh, kind of uh, play with your emotion a bit. They, they, they're emotionally, and what they are, they're, they're charged. Jimmy's very clever. Uh, and, and you have to, you can't hear this record one time. You can't and understand it. And if you do, you'll, you throw it away and go, well, what is this? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that, and people tend to do that. A lot of people. But once you understand that all the music is about you, mm -hmm. and it is. It's about the listener. It's not about, if you hear Billy Joel, and Billy Joel's a friend of mine, and I love his music, but, but his, all his records are about Billy Joel's life. You go along right. for the ride with Billy Joel's life, and you can, you cannot, you can relate to some of the, his feelings and his emotions. You can relate to them, mm -hmm. but you always, Billy's always there. But with these records, uh, I'll never exist inside of them. Well, you, you play characters. Yeah, but I, right? but even the characters don't exist. See, I do, I do the characters to, to do the stories because I don't ever want to pro project myself into mm -hmm. it. And so the difference is, is that I'll, the reason that I never project myself into it and is that I, I make up people to project is so that I don't become part of it. The song Paradise by the Dashboard Light, right. which is off a of bat out of hell, you never see me in the car. You always see yourself with somebody else in the car. If you're a girl, you see the guy. If you're a guy, you see the girl. I'm never included mm -hmm. in, in your side of the story.